COVID-19 comes to the countryside. We talk with two reporters who have covered that and get their reactions to the ongoing pandemic. I'm Dave Helling. Welcome. You're on Deep Background. And greetings, you're on Deep Background for July 21st, 2020. Dave Helling with the Kansas City Stars Editorial Board joining you yet again in the middle of the pandemic. Derek Donovan, my friend and colleague from the Editorial Board and two more great reporters from the Kansas City Star joining us for this edition. Uh, my friend uh, Laura Bauer and my other friend Judy Thomas, both with us today. Great to have you with us uh, to talk about your recent work uh, on COVID and uh, its impact really on rural areas. You know, Laura, I think we'll start with you. I think we all sort of get the sense that uh, COVID-19 has been an urban crisis in nursing homes and, and uh, it, prisons and places like that, schools to some degree. Uh, but I think your reporting and Judy's reporting suggests that it's beginning to eke its way into areas that did not anticipate it coming. Tell us about your story and what you found. Well, if we go back a little bit, I I think we both were watching for several months when it would hit the rural area. I was watching on both the Missouri and the Kansas side um, for so long, you would only see it in the urban areas. And then you started to see um, you know, smaller communities, Cheney, Polk on the on the um, Missouri side, and then you saw it Coffee County on the Kansas side, and you just wondered when it would really balloon up. And um, Judy found um, first about um, what was happening in Phillips County, and I think it was through Facebook, and and she can correct us, but I think she saw that. And what you found is in um, I think it was. May, April and May, they had two cases there in Phillips County, Kansas, which is northwestern Kansas. And then June, they had another. So by June 30th, they just had those three cases. And then all of a sudden, through the nursing home there in Logan, Missouri, which is a town of 542 people, it just exploded. And, you know, I spoke to, Judy did a, a real, um, most of the reporting on this, but I um, spoke to the county commissioner and he said, we knew it was coming. It was inevitable. It's going to be in every community, but boy, did it come. So, and, 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 and it's been real interesting because in rural communities, you have some that just aren't on board yet um, that maybe think it's not as bad, not much worse than the flu or the cold, um, don't want to wear the mask. And then you have others that are really concerned. So I think we found both of that. Do you agree, Judy? Yes, that's exactly right. And uh, yeah, how this one came about, well, we'll go back. When the, when the pandemic first hit hit the United States, the, the first week, um, some of us looked at a story just on the rural areas in Kansas and Missouri, the rural communities, and were they prepared? And uh, w one of the things we found out was, um, you know, there's 11 counties in Kansas that don't even have a hospital and they're even more so in Missouri. Uh, and we also found that half of those counties don't have any ICU beds. And so, um, and we talked to a lot of the emergency preparedness people and, you know, they, they seem, they said that they were, they were ready, they felt prepared, but if it was going to hit hard, I mean, there, there could be a problem. And so last Friday, 
I, you know, I come from a small town myself um, in, in central Kansas. And so I get how, how this happens, but I, I got a text message from a friend and she said, Google Logan, Kansas. She said, they're starting to have an outbreak there. And uh, so I looked on like last Friday and it showed that there had been three deaths at that point at the nursing home. And it was starting to run through. And like Laura said, there had been three, uh, only three cases in the whole county, uh, Phillips County, up until that point, uh, March, April, and May. So and that uh, I, was getting hard. So. Yeah, I, w- I want to come back to this idea of preparedness and hospitals and, <laughs> and what the uh, communities are experiencing, Judy. But uh, Laura just said that one of the people she talked with said, hey, we're expecting this. Mm-hmm. It's coming did they really expect it? Did they really expect it to come or was it more sort of a, an intellectual exercise? And then when it really did hit, now what do we do? Yeah, well, that's true because, uh, you know, they, I, I, I think, like, like Laura said, they just didn't think it was going to hit these, these rural areas because they are more isolated. You know, some of them are off the beaten path. Um, and, and even now, though, and, and the, um, the emergency or the uh, county health officer in Logan County told me last week that, you know, we have 18 counties that make up Northwest Kansas, the Northwest Kansas region. We'd only had between 30 and 40 cases in 18 counties in three months. And so he said, you know, when this started hitting, you know, everybody was really surprised. But when it did hit, I mean, they had like on, on July 2nd or July 1st, they had a, a one case at the nursing home. Then the second, they had three more. Then the next day, 18 more. And now they're up to 39 cases in the county most of them are from the nursing home and they had two more deaths yesterday. So there's, there's six deaths there now out of, they had 35 residents. And yeah. so it's kind of exploded there. Laura, there's some of this is predictable in part two, because rural populations tend to be a little bit older, right? Maybe a little bit sicker, uh, you know, more, more difficulties with things like weight and diabetes. Not that that doesn't exist in urban areas, uh, but, and in part two, because regular health care is more difficult to obtain in rural counties. Are those right? I mean, is that one of the reasons we're seeing what we're seeing? Yeah, and I think one reason why they didn't get it is because they are spread out for a while. You know, they didn't see it, and then people are spread out. You know, farmers are in the fields by themselves in in their small community. And I think they realized they would get cases, one, two, three, four cases. I don't think they realized that it would hit them, um, like three dozen or whatever. But, you know, early on, we saw it in Coffee County, Kansas where their numbers shot up, but they were all in the nursing home. And and I say all, but the majority of them were. So that's what we were seeing in a lot of these rural communities was isolated to the nursing homes. Um, You would have an asymptomatic worker that would bring it in, had no sign of the virus whatsoever. And then before you knew it, you had three dozen um, elderly people with the coronavirus. So I do think that when you do get in these rural communities that the health is not what you see in in some of the urban areas and you are seeing um, very aging populations. And I think that's why they're worried when the numbers go up and when they balloon. And, um, you know, they were telling us that, you know, everybody knows everybody. Everybody, um, it was my teacher and my Sunday school teacher or my, you know, every, my doctor. And so that's why it's hitting some of these communities harder because then, you know, the bigger communities, the bigger urban areas, you don't know 
people like you do in these small towns. And it has been, it's been pretty hard for some of them. And I've seen them on both sides of, of, you know, Missouri and Kansas, where it's really difficult. So it, it has been trying for them. Judy, what do you do if you get COVID-19 in a small town? I mean, what do you, do you go down to the, you know, Doc Smith and say, hey, I think I have COVID? I mean, what, I, I, I'm not really trying to make fun of them, but, but it's a different situation, isn't it, than if I got it or you got it here in this well, exactly. Yes, exactly. And in, in Logan, Kansas, is the population is about 540 people. They have one nursing home. You know, there's a main street. I don't think there's a stoplight, kind of like my hometown. Uh, and so uh, the, the nearest hospitals are uh, there's, a, there's a county hospital in Phillips for Phillips County in Phillipsburg. And then there's a um, and then there's one in Norton, which is also in the in, it's about 20 miles further, I think. They also, so they have been taking, I think they transferred some patients or at least a few up to Kearney, Nebraska. And then Hayes is the next closest regional, like large hospital. That's 75 miles away. Um, but, and then the concern there is now um, Ellis County just had, is starting to see a bump where Hayes is. And so uh, they've had, they had 10 new cases there yesterday. But the concern here is that and even in Logan, the county commission still is not mandating masks, and they aren't in Hayes either. They had a, a debate. I guess the, the city said that if the county didn't do it, and the county met last night, and I just saw reports saying that they did not, they're still not mandating masks in Ellis County. So the city council said if the county won't do it, we will step up, and they have a meeting Thursday night. And, and it's just getting to be a really hot issue in these small counties. I want to come back to the politics of it maybe after the break because it's so interesting and important. But but help me understand, Judy, if you have a small regional hospital with 10 beds or 12, they're not equipped to deal with COVID, are they? Not in the way that you would if a life is threatened, nor is really a nursing home, right? I mean, they don't have, you know, the high high quality ventilators and all the other stuff to deal with these cases. Is that right? I mean, you do have to go to a bigger hospital, it seems. Correct. And and like we said earlier, there's what, what is it? Half the counties don't even have ICU beds. And, and as far as the ventilators that, you know, there, there's a shortage there as well. So the ones that have died from the, the nursing home, I, I know of only most of them died at the nursing home. Um, one of them was hospitalized for sure that I know of. There might've been more, but most of them it looked like from the obituaries were, had died there. Um, and, and yeah, and then when you have to go that far, you know, 75 miles, I mean, it, it just makes it hard. It's a strain on, on everyone. On the right, but plus, it's a fatal disease, potentially fatal disease. And yeah. so you want to be close if you can, but being mm -hmm. close is difficult when you're 80, 100 miles away from mm -hmm. a hospital. Laura, are people frustrated with that? I mean, are, are the residents of these counties going, gosh, this is, you know, we don't we're, we don't have access to the kind of care that maybe they have in the city. I don't think we're really hearing that um, because when you're in the nursing home and you get ill, the nursing homes are equipped to be able to deal with them before the breathing becomes a problem. So what they do is they isolate them on a wing and um, they deal and you're getting good care. I mean, but the minute it becomes, you know, the oxygen levels and the breathing problems, then they do go. But we're not hearing um, that in the rural communities because they, many of them just want to stay home and stay away from people. And, and it's when the breathing becomes an issue and then they just know they're going to have to drive. But, but does it seem like, does it seem like the residents are more, uh, for lack of a better term, 
Laura, fatalistic about uh, about COVID? I mean, do they all say, well, if I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it? I mean, we're hearing that in some other parts of the country where some communities are rather resigned to getting COVID and, and dying from it potentially, but, you know, no masks, no distancing. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I just wonder if you get a sense that's happening in the smaller counties that you've reported on. I actually do, but I know it more for personal experience from the people I know that live in these smaller communities, um, in-laws and family. And, oh, if we're going to get it, we're going to get it. Even the county commissioner told me that. And they just believe that if it comes, it comes, and they'll deal with it then. Um, I do feel like in the bigger communities, there's more of a fear of, of getting it. Now, in many of the smaller communities, you do see it. And not every, but you do see it starting in some of the nursing homes. And there is this belief that um, in some of the smaller communities, and I think uh, Judy would agree, that it is an old person's um, battle, that if it gets really bad, it's going to be the old people that really um, hurt from it and not the younger people. So some of the um, middle-aged people we're talking to, they're just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get it. And if I get it, we'll see what happens. And I just don't, I don't see the fear that I'm seeing in the bigger communities. Yeah. 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 Judy, did you find the same thing? You know, there is an attitude, at least from my time working in rural parts of the country, that there's just a a different approach to illness. (laughs) You know, we used to, not related to COVID, of course, but. I would do stories on safety on the farm, you know, oh, this, you know, you could lose a finger, lose it. And, and, but you would talk to farmers and they go, well, if I lose a finger, I lose a finger. I mean, they, and I don't mean that in a funny way. That's just their, that's just an approach to danger. And do you sense that's happening here? Uh, yeah. Yes. In, in, in some ways. I mean, I, I know farmers who have lost fingers uh, myself. So, uh, and, and some of the people we talked to said, uh, I mean, there, there's and, and they're they're maybe half joking, but some of them more serious about it said, well, you know, the attitude out here is that, you know, you get a cut, you get dirty, you just brush it off, you wash your, you know, wipe, wipe some dirt on it and keep going. Um, and they, 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 there is a, maybe some of that mentality. But um, in, in talking to people back home, uh, you know, they they've been holding um, people just don't think they're going to get it. Uh, they said, well, there's only 10 cases in my county out of 9,500. So why are we all having to wear masks? That's kind of the attitude they have, but they, they had a graduation in, in one of the central Kansas the other night and the seniors all sat together at the graduation. Um, you know, you see things like that too. Some of them think that they've already had it too, early before back in January and February, there's a lot of that talk too, that, oh, I've already had it. So I, I, you know, let's just move on. I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. One more question for Laura, and then we'll take a break. What about the kids? I mean, uh, you know, the students, you know, there's so much talk around here of canceling classes and moving. And the governor, of course, in Kansas has moved the start date back to after Labor Day. Uh, you know, high school football, which is a big thing in some some rural counties. I mean, the, the, the is it as disruptive in those places you've reported on in, in terms of the kids as it has been disruptive maybe in urban areas? Well, we heard in Phillips County, and I've also seen it in parts of Missouri and Iowa, is when they think of kids right now and in, in the summer, they think of fair. They think of rodeo, and they really, really want those kids to have the fair and the rodeo. And 
Um, they are doing everything they can to make that happen. They're not worried about school. Uh, there is a belief from several people we talked to that this just isn't bad for kids. You saw the, heard the Missouri governor say that yep. just the other day. And, you know, when we spoke um, to people there in Logan and Phillips County, it was very um, close to their mind that the fair was coming and these kids deserve it. And, um, and I think everyone we talked to said kids need to be in school. And um, so there isn't a fear of their safety. There's a fear of that they're not getting a childhood that they should have with the fear, you know, the rodeo and the, and the fair. And I had high school football at night and cheerleaders mm-hmm. and volleyball mm-hmm. or whatever it is. That's, uh, you know, it's essential for all kids, but certainly in, in the countryside, there's, there's a focus on that. But there's not a focus on them getting sick, which is really interesting. And I'm, and I'm not being mean on that. It's just more on their experiences and not so much that they're going to get the virus. No. Okay. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the politics of all of this. I'm Dave Helling. You are on Deep Background. Hey there, this is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at the Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com slash background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a deep background listener. By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to the Star for $1.99 total. That's right. You get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. That's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So go grab your computer or mobile device and head to KansasCity.com slash background. And hey, thanks for listening. Back now on Deep Background, Dave Helling with the Stars Editorial Board, Derek Donovan, my friend uh, with us, and Laura Bauer and uh, Judy Thomas. Okay, guys, we just talked a little bit about the reality on the uh, countryside, uh, in the countryside for COVID, but let's talk about the politics of this a little bit. Now, Judy, you mentioned this, that there's still a resistance to masks. Uh, There is resistance to closing schools. There was resistance to closing meatpacking plants uh, in western Kansas, which were a big source and are a big source of COVID infections. Uh, do, do we have any sympathy for Laura Kelly? <laughs> and for that matter, uh, Mike Parson in Missouri, where you have to do statewide things in which the politics seems so different between how it's viewed at the county commission level you know, in, in, in Reno County, that's a little bigger maybe, but counties like that and Wyandotte County. I mean, there's just, it's a different worldview altogether. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, well, we saw when um, Governor Kelly issued the, the mask um, order what, on July 2nd to go into effect then, uh, uh, how many counties, the majority of counties uh, decided to opt out or not do that. The vast majority of counties. Yeah, um, except for the larger ones. And uh, so we saw that in Logan and even, like I started to say earlier, um, even out there where they've got this outbreak and they're a hot spot right now, the county commission has opted to not uh, mandate masks. What they did uh, do was they put out a statement um, uh, like, uh, right after Laura Kelly's uh, mandate saying 
we do recommend, they do recommend them that we're not going to order them. And please, everybody respect each other's opinion on this. If somebody doesn't want to wear a mask, respect that. And if they want to wear a mask, don't shame them basically for that. And, and that's what we're seeing at Rice County um, just last night or yesterday, the county commission there where I'm from uh, grew up, they voted two to one in favor of actually it surprised a lot of people in favor of, of ordering the masks. And they also said there'd be a, up to a $2,500 fine, which is pretty stiff um, if they, if people didn't wear them. And now there's a campaign out afoot. It looks like on social media to, uh, to kick them out of the ones that the two that voted for it, to kick them out of office um, when the elections come up. So you're seeing those kind of things. And Laura can tell you more about what's going to happen in Branson over the mask issue. But yes, it's just, and the same thing with the, the kids going back to school. I've been seeing a lot of stuff on social media, you know, just since last or yesterday. Um, people are, are upset about that. They don't think kids will wear the mask and they think that they shouldn't have to in some of these smaller areas that don't have a lot of cases. Right. Laura, Laura Kelly, Laura Bauer uh, announced uh, uh, or issued an order that all kids K through 12 should wear masks. I think that came yesterday. And we were talking this morning on the editorial board, getting a kindergartner to wear a mask for four or five hours is going to be difficult in the extreme. But you could imagine in a place where mom and dad are saying masks are ridiculous, it would be almost impossible, right? And and uh, so again, uh, you know, I, I don't see how states can manage this disagreement. I mean, I, I suppose you could just do your best and hope people comply, but it's so hard to envision an order or an approach that would be easy for rural counties to, to follow and urban counties. I mean, it just seems like that division is very intense. Yeah, it's just become an argument over rights and, and choice and I just don't know what the answer is, because when Governor Kelly did do that, I believe it was 90 counties out of 104 uh, opted out. And so in, you know, I've been dealing, you know, in Missouri as well and spoke to a commissioner in Taney County, um, which is the home of Branson. And he just said, no, he doesn't see a world in which he would ever vote for a mask. He's not going to tell his people what to do. Um, and it becomes really becomes that. And uh, is that changing or could it change if, you know, Walmart now is requiring masks for people who go in and some of the bigger stores and bars and restaurants, uh, some anyway, are asking for masks in part because they fear liability if they if somebody catches it in a place where they don't take these precautions, not all, but some. Is that a way out of this to let the private sector, Laura, you know, move forward and that people come to expect it and accept it on that basis rather than the county commission or the governor or the president telling them to wear a mask? You know, from what we're hearing from people, I think so, because then at least it puts the business person in the driver's seat that they can say, yes, you know, if you're going to come in my store, you need to wear it. I mean, you're still going to have those people screaming at the, 
entrance and yelling and, um, and pulling out guns in some cases. Yeah. <laughs> <apparently>. <laughs> well, and it's really interesting because um, I have several, I grew up uh, in a small community on the Missouri side in Southwest Missouri. And a lot of my Facebook friends are, are from down there. And now there is this movement, like if you're going to make me wear a mask, I'll wear it, but I'm not going to help you with contract tracing. I'm not going to tell you who I've been around. I'm not going to, tell you where I've been and that's their way of, of holding on to their rights. So, um, but you know, during when we were covering a meeting down in Branson last week, there was a business owner who stood up and said, listen, um, we are cleaning, we're sanitizing, we're doing everything we can. Um, let us do this. You don't need to tell us how to do run our business and let us be in charge. And I do think that that's a growing sentiment of people like let it up to the businesses. And, you know, it was really interesting to see Walmart do that. And um, because, you know, others target and others have been doing it, but Walmart was a big thing for a rural community and for Southwest Missouri and all parts of Kansas and more rural because that is their store. And yeah, yeah. so it, it'll be interesting to see how that works. Um, and Judy, churches too uh, can play a role here, right? Particularly again in rural communities. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the initial reaction from most churches was, okay, let's socially distance. Let's do our, our worship services you know, as, as safely as we can. There was some pushback from a church or two, but by and large, uh, it seemed like the, the you know, religious community understood the importance of following some of these measures. And you think, you would think that maybe if the churches combined with businesses begin to coalesce around this idea of, of uh, taking some precautions, that that might be easier to swallow than the county commission telling you. Yes, and that's exactly what I was hearing from some people that I was communicating with last night, where they said, yeah, and, and we're back to this, you know, personal freedoms and rights and everything again, but they said, why why not just let us police ourselves, kind of? I mean, the businesses require, if they want to require masks, they can. I guess the, the concern, they said, why should the county, because they just don't like being told what to do. Um, but uh, I, I did notice now... Um, some of the churches, a lot of the churches, even even the smaller ones in, in uh, the smaller towns have been doing online services. And of course, the big ones have been doing that all along, but they've been doing online and that has helped a lot too, because I know like my mom, you know, she's 84 years old. And so she, she never wants to miss church, but she's been watching online and they have started going back, but it's a small church anyway, and there's room to social distance. And they, you know, there, and she said, most everybody had a mask on last time she went. So I, I, I think that, that that is a way to, to, to get it to work is to allow people to, I mean, go ahead and open them up, but do have the social distancing. She said the pastor wears a mask even at, you know, during the service, yeah, but it, preaching, but around the other people. So. But, but if you guys are right, which I'm sure you are, about uh, the resistance to things like masks and social distancing, which, by the way, is not limited to rural areas. You can find people in Kansas City who are not enthusiastic about, about it. Hell, Johnson County, Kansas has had a big fight over masks, so it's not limited to rural areas. But, but that resistance on these uh, remedies suggests that anything more dramatic, like closing the schools for a semester or shutting down yet again or stay-at-home orders, just aren't going to fly. They just won't fly. Is that right, Judy? We'll start with you and then Laura. 
Oh, absolutely. And and I follow um, a lot of the right wing extremist groups and, and the, you know, those kind of issues. And some of my sources are really monitoring that because you're seeing some of these anti-mask rallies, you know, Kansas had one um, earlier at the Capitol. But um, so, yeah, they say they are seeing a lot more of the, the people that are really going to pr- protest that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think I think we're probably if they if I think if there are any more shutdowns, we're going to really see a strong resistance to that. And, and Laura, we've the governors in both Kansas and Missouri are really pushing back against that idea. I mean, I think once the shutdown ended at whatever limited level, that was that. There's no going back. Do you think that's right? I do, especially the shutdowns of the whole communities and cities and towns. But I really think the school issue is really going to divide a lot of people. Um, People do not want to see kids be kept out of school. And it almost, as a parent who has a kid going into into high school, it almost becomes this peer pressure on Facebook of, you know, I'm doing the right thing by keeping my kid at home. Can't believe you're going to send your kid. And it is this, it's become this real, (laughs) real issue well, part of that is a part of that is because uh, Laura and Judy, because there are no easy answers when it comes to schools. I mean, there's no you could I mean, you could close the schools and explain why that's wrong, but you can open them and explain why that's wrong. I mean, there is no easy way out in this. And there's no compromise really either is. I mean, I, if we chuckle a little bit about Laura Kelly delaying the opening, but what are we going to know on September 10th that we don't know now? Uh, you know, and what are we going to do when we get two weeks out from September 9th when it, the schools are supposed to reopen that we don't know now? I mean, I, I, boy, I, I said uh, about a month ago that this will be the story of the next three months. How do we do schools? And by the way, colleges and universities, which are in small towns, and uh, the economy depends on students coming back, whether they come back or not. Laura, we'll sort of start with you and then go to Judy for some final ideas on this. But but. You know, we are on, in a stage, aren't we, Laura, in which the answers are not self-evident and easily reached, which maybe the countryside is reflecting in a way. Right. And and that's definitely true. And I think there's just this growing frustration because by now, you know, on July 21st, we usually know everything about school. We know what's going on. I haven't even registered my son because everything is up in the air and the parents are just getting really furious because they don't know what to do. And it's not an easy answer for Laura Kelly or Mike Parson. And, um, but I, I think what people are wanting, and I'm hearing this more in my personal life than professional, because Judy and I haven't really written about schools, but they they want a conversation. They want to know what exactly they're going to do in this six foot, and how is that even going to work in some of these classrooms that already have 30 kids in them? And I think it would ease minds if they just had a conversation like, the staggering classes. I think it's in Omaha where some kids will go three days a week and some will go two. And I think there's a growing frustration that here in our area that there isn't more of a plan by now. Yeah. And Judy, the other thing that I think is very true is I think everyone, most everyone expected the, the coronavirus to be a minor concern by the start of school. I mean, the idea is we shut everything down. We reopen in May-ish. And then by September, there are a few cases, but nothing big to worry about. And the opposite has turned out to be the case. 
Exactly. And I, I don't think anybody back in March would have ever thought that we would be in this position right now. Um, so uh, I, I had a son who was supposed to get married last week and, you know, we've gone through, you know, just with, with the weddings and then they were wondering if they should, you know, at least postpone it for a few months. But now we're looking at even a few months, um, you know, some of them now they've rescheduled for a year. Uh, and now we're wondering if that's ever even going to happen. Wow. There's just so much that's up in the air, but anyway, it's the, the KU, doctors that are on every day. I don't know how many of you yeah, right. I've, I've they're, seen they're some just fascinating to watch their press conferences and they've been great about that. But even they are now saying it's time for the kids. The kids need to get back in school. We just have to find a way to keep them safe. But we, we you know, I don't think anybody wants another shot. You know, I know you guys, I think Laura, you, and maybe Judy, you got a piece of the story about the river bend uh, nursing home mm-hmm. over in Wyandotte County. And I remember working on that for the editorial board and, and, I, you know, I had conversations with the health department about, you know, why didn't you just shut them down? I mean, this was obviously a, a, a hot spot, a vector. Why not just close them? And they went through a whole thing. Well, if we do that, where do we move them and what kind of care can they get? I, I think one of the reasons we're seeing so, so much discomfort in the public is nobody has the answer. Is that right, Laura? <laughs> yeah, and and I, there's no good uh, answer in this mess, right? And I don't think that we can blame them, but um, and but I do think when you're talking with kids and you're ta- look, look at us, we're going to be home working for months now, and I think the frustration is is there needs to be a plan for kids, and like the nursing homes, like you said, Riverbend, it, I mean. That just was a fire that got out of hand really quickly. Since then, what they're doing on the Missouri side is one case of the virus gets everyone tested multiple times until there's no positive test. And there's a plan, and that's working, and it's boxing it in. But what is the plan for the schools, and what are the plans for the kids? And I think that's where the frustration is. Even though, yeah, no one knows the answers, but um, I think – some had hoped that there would be more answers by this point. Yeah, Judy, we'll give you the final word. The other thing to keep in mind in this story is, you know, while you can talk about statistics and evidence and things, none of that makes any difference if your kid gets sick or your father gets sick or, or, you know, you just, or your granddaughter gets sick or catches it at daycare. I mean, there's the, the macro approach. And then for each person that, that, makes it exponentially more hard in this matter. Oh, exactly. And I was just having a conversation last night with someone who was saying, you know, we don't have it here. Why do we have to have this? And I said, well, that's kind of what Logan, Kansas was saying too, you know, three cases, but now, you know, it's, 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 um, or the nursing home. And then what if that was your relative, you know, you got to think about that too. Yeah. Okay. Judy Thomas, Laura Bauer. Thanks so much. Great reporting. Great stuff. Uh, what an amazing time to be alive. Let's hope we can do this a year from now and we're all back in the star newsroom and laughing about how crazy we were working a year ago. Great work. Again, thanks for being with us. Derek, as always, it's uh, great to have you along too and uh, you know, be my partner here on the podcast. So Derek Donovan, Laura Bauer, Judy Thomas, thanks. I'm Dave Helling with the Star's editorial board and you have been on Deep Background. Crap.